0: that, That phrase, may the fire of our devotion light their way. I want you to think about that for just a moment. What kind of devotion do you have towards the things of God? And would you label them as being, or would you label yourself as being on fire about the will of God in your life? The fire of your devotion. I mean, how fired up are you about the word of God? Because I think a subject like this morning, it honestly takes a little fire to really buy in to the subject that we're going to be talking about this morning. What we've been doing as a church is we've been putting off bad attitudes and putting on good ones in their place. And we've asked the Lord to to help us to, to, as a result of that, to move us into what we're calling, just kind of because of the book of Numbers and the children of Israel being denied the promised land because of their bad attitudes, we're asking God to help us to experience the promised land of God's blessing in our lives. That that abundant life. So many Christians know nothing about this. They live in a dry and barren land. And they look at maybe other Christians and wonder, what is it about them? Why does it seem as if, though I know they're going through trials, I know they're suffering, I know there's affliction in their lives. I know they don't have a perfect marriage. I know this is not a perfect church. So why in the world are they able to live with such a good attitude? The truth of the matter is, is it's a choice. It's a choice. And promised land living does not come without a choice. If your Christian life is going to live on the promised land side of things, you're going to have to put off some bad attitudes. We talked about complaining. It's the first thing we identified in the lives of the children of Israel, this murmuring, this grumbling, this complaining. We learn to put that off and in its place put on thankfulness. Secondly, we learn to put off coveting and on with contentment. No longer are we going to live in the world of I want more. I want more. I'm not satisfied with what I have. No, no, we're going to learn to live in the land of contentment. God, you've been so good, and if all I have is what I have right now, it's more than I deserve. And then we've learned to put off the attitude of criticism. Always looking for the negative. Always uh, living in the barren land of judgmental spirit, critical spirit. And living in the promised land of love and acceptance. Acceptance. Loving people as they are, accepting people, understanding that, 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 that we're not all the same, and that there is an element of, of love and acceptance that is desperately needed amongst God's people. We've learned to put off doubting and put on faith. And then we learned to put off rebellion last week, and not just in the lives of young people, but in the lives of all of us, as kids, as children, as parents, as, as church members, as citizens of the United States of America. As we see the uprisings in our world today and the rebellion on the streets and the murdering and the, and the killing and the hate that fills our society, what can we replace that with? Even though we don't always agree, even though we don't always understand, even though sometimes we are mistreated and maligned and ignored, what does Scripture teach is the opposite of this, the antidote of this. It is the word submission. Now, that's a subject matter in Scripture. If there ever was one, that, that is usually met with some resistance. For some reason, the word submission is not usually a Christian's favorite word. It's just not. Submission. We've had some kind of bad experience. And I want to say the reason why some of us uh, are not too keen to the word submission, it might be for some good reason. Just so I can be in your corner for a minute. So much teaching on this has been done in an unbiblical way. So much of this has been practiced in in a way that's been forced upon people, and that's not biblical. Submission is not forced. So I want you to open your heart. I want you to open your mind to the treasure of submission. I want you to understand how much God loves it. God loves it. God can take submission and bless it in such a way that he will pour favor into your life. For favor into your family, favor into a church, and even into a nation as we learn what it means to submit. May I suggest that we not abandon the subject of submission in God's Word simply because it's been misunderstood or misused. Why don't we get it right? Why don't we find out what it really means in a biblical way and then practice it? Because submission, when properly understood and applied like all of God's commands... Brings life and peace and favor and blessing. When properly understood, like all of God's commands. Wow. Now, who is this for? Because sometimes when we think of the word submission, parents kind of, you know, they they stiffen up because they're like, man, I hope my wife gets this. I sure hope, I hope she gets it. I've been preaching this for a long time, preacher. I'm finally, you finally got on board. Well, maybe there's a... A parent here who says well I hope my kids are listening and a bunch of rebels tell you what gotta correct them all the time they just need to get under authority and submit well let me tell you who this is for look at Romans chapter 13 verse 1 on your screen let every soul you see this message is not just for children it's for parents uh, this message this subject matter is not just for church members it's pastors and elders it's not just for children it's for parents not just for wives it's for husbands it's for who it's for every soul every person another passage of scripture that helps us understand this is ephesians 5 21 where it says Submitting yourselves one to another, not just you know this crowd understanding it needs to submit to this crowd, but no, everybody, every soul, yourselves, you, me, all of us. So what can we learn about submission? Well, we go to First Peter chapter two and actually first Peter, in and of itself, a, a book that was written uh, to a people who were being mistreated. And by the way, You know, you may be feeling that way in America today as a Christian. I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound like that uh, Christianity is being treated fairly, even in comparison to other religions, false religions, or what we would call false religions. And sometimes we kind of recognize that, don't we? And what we do is we say, well, you know, if a Christian said that, we'd be, but, but they say it. And so what happens is, is we begin to feel mistreated and ignored and maligned and criticized. I know somebody else who was mistreated and maligned and criticized and ignored. You know him? Uh, we'll be introduced to him a little bit more in scripture in just a moment. But this this was written to a people who were being mistreated. The entire subject matter, really, there's more to it than just this, but but truly the context of much of what's been written in First Peter is submission. It's it's teaching us to submit. And what does it mean and what does it result in? So let me give you some thoughts on submission from First Peter chapter 2 especially. Number one, submission is duty to God. It all starts with an understanding that we are submitting ultimately to God. God is the one we are submitting to. The entire focus of this message we must understand it is truly about submitting to God. Not necessarily to your parents first to uh, those in government who are leading our nation first, or those, uh, or to a husband first, or, or to a pastor or an elder. No, no. This ultimately begins with submitting to God. It's an understanding of that. Look, if you would, at First Peter chapter 2, verse number 13. Let's start there. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. I want you to understand that. Underline that. I have it highlighted. Whether it be to the king, as supreme, to governors, or to them that are sent by him. Ultimately, it's for the Lord's sake. Submit. What does it mean? It means to place yourself in order under established authority. just going to give you a few lines here about submission in this first thought. It is to place yourself in order under established authority. It is secondly, it's to operate within the chain of command. Which later on in scripture, we'll see that God often has a chain of command. He has higher levels of authority in our lives. He has people that we're over, and we have people that we're under, you see. Even Jesus himself submitted himself to a higher authority. Now, he only had one in his upline, God the Father. But he did submit himself to God the Father. And so, notice in verse number thirteen, the first two words signify who who is to submit. We are to submit. Submit yourselves. Forced submission from the top down is never one time seen in the scriptures. I would welcome anyone who, upon further study this week, would approach me and say, "Preacher, it is it is forced here. It's forced here in scripture. You missed this one because I don't see it in scripture." Submission is not demanded. It is earned. Submission is a choice. That's why it's an attitude. That's why it's an attitude, guys. We've talked about ten different attitudes. All of the attitudes are choices that we must make. Submit yourselves. It's a choice. Submission is not top down. It's bottom up. That's why Jesus, the son of God, the king of the universe, the creator of the world, the earth, the earth, he washed his disciples feet. <laughs> Can you imagine the servitude of this incredible leader who shared an example with us that truly, if a leader is going to lead right, he must first learn to submit. He must first learn to serve. That's what servant leadership is all about. So husbands. You are not to be demanding that your wives submit. It's not what this is about. I've sat in the office in years gone by, and, and, and actually, you know, preach. I'll tell you what the problem is. She just needs to submit. I tell her all the time. That's the problem. If she just get in line with the Bible, and I watch him preach his heresy, I watch him spew his heresy. It's not demanded. You see here that pastors in Scripture are not to be demanding that their people submit, but rather lovingly. Lovingly serving. Lovingly giving. It's amazing what serving others and loving others and giving to others, it's amazing what that produces in the atmosphere. It produces people who want to submit. Children who will submit. Wives who will choose to submit. To submit by choice to get in line with scripture because that's what God's plan is. They'll make the right choice, not because it's demanded. Submit yourselves. Submission is duty to God. Again, back to verse 13 for the Lord's sake. I believe that God is trying to get something done today in our homes, God's trying to get something done in church. God wants to start a revival. This may be a key reason why he he is not able to work like he wants to work in our nation because so many are resisting the established authority and when you resist the established authority according to scripture you are resisting God cuz duty or rather submission is duty to God if the lord walked in this this morning i, I have no doubt that most of us this morning, if not every one of us, if the Lord walked in and, and, and walked right up to you where you're sitting in the balcony, on the main floor, and said, hey... I want you to do this. doesn't matter what it is. I don't care what it is. If it's walk on nails, if it's walk on fire, Lord, you tell me, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve you? I mean, he's nail-pierced hands right in front of me, and he's sharing with me what he wants me to do. Are you listening? Are you obeying? I am. I mean, listen, if the Lord is in this room, I mean, physically, in the, in, right in front of me, telling me, asking me to do something, I'm going to submit, no question about it. The problem is he's not physically walking up to you this morning and asking you to do anything specifically, but he has established some authorities in our lives. A boss, parents, elders. And sometimes our, our first response is, but they're human, Pastor. They're frail. They're not perfect. So what happens is, is we use those things as a way of dismissing the attitude of submission. We use the imperfections of human authorities that God has placed in our lives as a way of dismissing our responsibility to submit. We forget that we're not submitting because of them anyway. We're submitting for the Lord's sake. We're not submitting because they're perfect. We're submitting because we want to please God. It's for his sake. You ever been driving down the expressway and you are going the speed limit, but the police aren't? <laughs> ever been going down Interstate 30 on your way to Dallas, trying to keep it at 70? It's hard, isn't it? <laughs> Especially when the policeman's going 80. His lights aren't on, and he's just, straight, just getting somewhere. And our attitude is, well, I guarantee you one thing, I'll I'll tell you what, I'll just, I'm going to go 80, and if he stops me, I'll just tell you. Try that. See how that works for you. The government. You know, we need to take our eyes off the government. We're so critical of the government. Listen, it's easy to be critical of some of the decisions they're making. I understand. I, I don't agree with it all. But let me tell you something. Scripture says they've been placed there by God. It says to submit to those higher powers for the Lord's sake. Take your eyes off the White House and put your eyes in heaven. And just submit for the Lord's sake. Kids, watch it. Watch this attitude that says, well... So-and-so gets to do it, but my parents won't let me. They're so boring, they're so duds. They, every time I want, and they, and I, and, and I'm just, and I'm tired of this, and I'm just gonna sneak out of the house and do my own thing, and then eventually I'll just run away. When I'm 18 I'm... You know what? Maybe it would be best for you to look at submission not so much for your parents or that you agree, but for the Lord's sake. Ultimately, you obey your parents because you're doing it for the Lord's sake. It's duty to God. When you obey mom and dad, you are obeying God as a result of that. It makes you look at it in a totally different light. All of a sudden, the complaints and the excuses go away. Number two, submission is protection by God. It's protection. God has a plan to protect us. And when we are under the umbrella, if you can imagine walking out in a hailstorm or a rainstorm, and what's the best thing to have in those conditions? An umbrella. What does the umbrella do? It protects us from the weather. The rain doesn't hit us. The storm doesn't affect us. The, 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 the hail bounces off. You know. What am I saying? I'm saying submission is like that in the Christian's life. When you are under submission, you are under protection. And the one who's protecting you is God himself. Look at verse number 14. Well, let's read 13 again just so it makes sense. For Submit yourselves to every ordinances of man for the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the king, the supreme governors, as unto them that are sent by him, the Lord, for the punishment of evildoers. Remember what I said, submission is protection by God. For the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. I'm going to use the word right if you don't mind. I I wrote in my margin next to well the word right. It's just easier for me to say do right. This, my friends, should be the purpose of the judicial system in our country. If our country was operating in a biblical manner, then in this one verse we have the purpose and the reason why we have a judicial system. It is for, number one, the punishment of evildoers. What we do today is we make excuses for evildoers and we give reasons why they did it and we let them go. But if our judicial system was correct, then we would be punishing evildoers and we would be rewarding those and praising those who do what's right. For this is the will of God. Why? Why? Because when we do right, we put the silence. Look at the rest of verse 15. When we do right, we silence the ignorance of foolish men. Listen to me, church. Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe you have been mistreated at, at the job. Maybe you got looked over for a promotion. I know you probably were the better employee. You were next in line. Maybe you're on time more and you work harder. And, and, and for some reason, though, you were mistreated you were looked over. You were ignored for that promotion. You were treated unfairly. As opposed to bowing up and rebelling and getting ugly and bailing ship and criticizing and causing a stir, why don't you submit and just do what's right and put to silence the ignorance of foolish men? That's scripture. You say, yeah, but I know, I know you want your way. I know. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way in me. Wasn't on tune, but I didn't have the band. (laughs) You see, that's the problem. We don't want the Lord to have his way. We want our way. Because when we're mistreated, we want to fight back. Just like Jesus did. Just fight back. When they spit in our face, spit in their face, just like Jesus did. He just got a big old hawker and spit right back in their face. (laughs) Laughable, isn't it? Just like Jesus did. wonder what we do with the verse that says love our enemies. It's so against our nature, isn't it? What am I saying? I'm saying submission is duty to God. I'm saying submission is protection by God. When we do right, we silence the ignorance of foolish men. Submission is to be under protection. But rebellion is to be out from under perfection, protection. Protection. Humility is to be under protection, but pride is to be out from under protection. Love, love is to be under protection. Hate is to be out from under protection. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 5, again, the context of, the, of, the, of much of the writings of Peter is the, the, the subject of submission. You see it again in verse 5 of 1 Peter 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. Now, don't miss this phenomenal truth. This is phenomenal. For God resisteth the proud. God will not protect the proud. God, God will not protect the proud. God resists the proud. But God will protect the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty, under, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. He will come through. In your situation, whatever it is, being treated unfairly, he will come through. Being ignored, he will come through. Being mistreated, being being criticized being, you just name it, God will come through for you. He will exalt you. Eventually, you will will receive favor from God because you submitted. Favor is on the way. It's God's plan. That's why in verse 7 he says, cast all your care. Sometimes we quote that verse, but we forget the context in which it's being written. Cast all your anxiety. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of anxiety sometimes in in a home, I find, when there's a domineering figure who is demanding and and, and hateful and mean and mean-spirited. There's there's not a peace in that home. There's not much peace in a workplace when there's a tyrant there. There's not much peace in a nation when, when there's a society that is in rebellion. But God says this, you just in those situations... You cast your anxiety, your care upon me, because I care about you. God says, I care about you. I got you. I got you. I will give you strength. I'll give you peace. I'll give you favor. I'll give you blessing. You just do what's right, and we'll silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's what God says. I'm glad we didn't write the Bible. I wouldn't be preaching like this this morning, (laughs) would I? But but God wrote it, and we're going to be good because He wrote it because He's always right. He's he's never let us down down a wrong path. Now, about this time, I need to get a few back with me because what happens when you preach on submission is your mind begins to wander, and you've got the areas that you just feel like enough is enough. You've already gone there. Some of you have already gone there, and I understand. I do believe submission number three has its limits. It has its limits. But I want you to know this morning, I don't want to water down the message. The reason I don't want to water it down is because God doesn't water it down. And anytime there's truth, there's tension. If there's no tension, then what you've got is you've got a sissy preacher that just tells you what you want to hear. But when you feel tension, when you feel like, oh, man, whoa, wait, I'm battling with this thing. That's a good thing. Because sometimes truth preached with power and truth preached with honesty and truth, truth preached from God's word, we're not making excuses. We're not watering it down. I'm not really trying to give you a way out when I give you this thought. Because that's some of you, that's all you're looking for, is a way out. A way to divorce. A way to quit your job. A way to leave your church. A way to run away, kids. We're just looking for that. So I'm careful not watering it down. But I understand submission has its limits. In fact, 1 Peter 2, 2, verse 16 reminds us of something that we've really already touched on. It says here, go to verse 15. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free. Those two words are critical words in understanding what submission is. Because submission is not Slavery. I don't want anyone to miss this thought. No one is a slave to anyone but to Christ. Wives, you are not a slave to your husbands. Employees, you're not a slave to your employers. And we are not a slave to the government. We are free to choose. We voluntarily submit. That's what we do. It grieves me to see a woman who's withering away in her home. It grieves me. And how have I seen it dozens of times? A woman who is not flourishing, a woman who is withering away, a woman who is being forced into submission and, 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 and made to do everything and criticized when she does it and always pointing out her failures and always pointing out what she doesn't do and saying hateful things like, what do you do with your time? You're home all day. And the criticism, I see it. I've been pastoring for 20 years. Four almost five years, and I've watched this and what it does to a woman. It's so devastating, it grieves me to see that. Men, our wives should be flourishing under our leadership. That's God's plan. Our wives should be flourishing, they have so much potential. There's so much they can do. There's so many gifts they have that we don't have. There's so many things that that they can do, even though they don't meet all our expectations. And sometimes we become uh, critical and and, and ignorant. We're the foolish and ignorant men that need to be silenced sometimes. Thank you, men, for saying amen right there, because that was a good spot. Your wives just submitted. They wanted to, but they submitted there. The truth of the matter is, is some of us need to ask ourselves the question, and maybe ask our wives: Are you flourishing in our home? You, do you do you feel like I force you to do things? Do you feel like I'm I'm always on you about this? Do you feel like my attitude is super negative and hateful? It might be good for us to hear the truth. I know it helps me when my wife is is super honest with me about that, even though she's wrong most of the time. Not kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. She's laughing. (laughs) Submission does have limits under God. It does. Now, so when should we say enough is enough? When is it abusive? We all have levels of injustice, right? I mean, there's levels of injustice in, in different areas of leadership, but when is that injustice tip the scale it's hard to answer that because there are millions of circumstances it's really hard so what i did was i broke it down into three quickies and i'll move on number one maybe it's enough depending upon the source it depends upon the source for instance there are some things that you would tolerate from your spouse that you would never tolerate from your employer why? Because of the level of commitment. My wife and I have a strong commitment for for better, for what? For worse. For richer, for, for in sickness and in till death do us part. I mean, that means we're going to weather some storms. That means she's not going to walk away when I am a little foolish. She's not going to leave when I do, when I do treat her improperly. She's going to hang in there. When I when I've been neglectful. You see, that's how marriages make it. Commitment. But maybe if you get a job and you walk under a boss in the first week, three or four times, you're mistreated. You know what? You might need to go look for another job. What am I saying? I'm saying there there is a level of commitment, the source of, of the submission. I think that's worthy of, of consideration. There is greater grace in my wife and I's relationship than in my lawyer and I's relationship. More grace. Deeper commitment. Number two, it depends upon the severity of it. You see, we want to bail quickly, but we need to stop and think for just a moment about the severity of it. Is it neglectful abuse or is it physical abuse? Now, I know neglectful abuse is something that needs to be addressed. Believe me, I I neglected my family for a period of time and chose ministry and traveling and a busy schedule over my family. And as a result of that, it, it probably, early on, it, it began to hurt. And thankfully, I had someone confront me and, and things changed. And, and can I say it? Changed in time, praise God. I've seen some wait and wait and wait and not see it until they lose their families and then it's too late. But I'm thankful that my neglectful abuse was identified and corrected, right? And so what happened is, is that I'm thankful in that situation, even though that's not good for a relationship, it's not a reason to bail. But when it's physical abuse, arrogance, overt Direct abuse. It depends upon the severity. Number three, it depends upon the frequency. I mean, as you consider your millions of circumstances, as you look at your life, as you look at how you're going to respond to this message, how often are we talking about? Once a month? Once a year? Once a lifetime? I think those are things we need to consider. The frequency of. Be careful to jump ship early. So when do you get out from under abusive authority? Whatever level of abuse that is. How do you make that decision? I'm not counseling this morning. I'm just teaching. I'm just preaching. This is These are subjects that go deeper in, 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 in small groups and in smaller groups. And But I'm giving you something to think about. Lots to think about, aren't I? So when do you know to get out from under an abusive authority? situation well let's go to scripture first peter chapter 2 we have the greatest example in of all time in jesus christ let's see what he did for even here unto were ye called because christ also suffered for us leaving us an example again submission the context of submission don't let that leave your mind we're talking about submission here he left as an example he did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled He reviled not. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself. Here it is, church. Here is the lesson. Here is how we get ourselves out from underneath, potentially an abusive situation. Because we commit ourselves to him that judges righteously. Who did Jesus give himself to? To him, who was him in this passage? Anybody know? God the Father. God the Father was in Jesus' upline. Jesus gave himself to him, God the Father, who judged righteously. You see, what you and I need to understand is that we need to go to the authority over us, and there's always an authority over us. Someone who can help us. I'm thankful today that God has placed the church in my life. I'm grateful that there's a place people can go to get help when, they, when they're not getting help in their home. Amen. God placed the church as an authority. It's in Scripture. Elders have an opportunity to help people to care for the church spiritually. That's why if you're having trouble in your home, go to the higher authority. Go to the elder. Go to someone and say, Look, I need help. I think we can learn just even our judicial system. There's different levels of courts. I don't understand it all. Circuit court, appellate. Appellate is how they set court supreme court i'm going to take it to a higher authority i'm going to appeal my case right believers don't take believers to court did you know that in first corinthians chapter six so what do we do well most of the time we don't do what we should do we go to the elders the higher authority to work out that issue how many churches have been destroyed and split and, and, and busted because of people not going to an authority that God designed in the order of authority to take care of the problem? We go straight to the courts and sue one another. Criminal activity, a different thing. Criminal activity, a different thing. I understand that. That's why I'm not letting you bail. See, what you want me to do is stick with criminal activity. Listen, let me say it. Most of us are not dealing with abusive situations. Most of us. There are some. But as I've pastored a church for a long time, I believe that most people that I've pastored, I know I've lived 51 years, and I've never been in a dangerous, abusive situation. Never. The struggles we're having, as I see it, in my ministry, are just basic relational hardships where we are just sick and tired of that person telling us what to do. That's why I said... It's duty to God. Let's 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 submit for the Lord's sake. Let's let's submit because we want God's protection. It has its limits, but that that should not I don't think that's where most of us are. I think most of us are living in situations where we just we just don't like the person. They are just mistreating us. Well, there is some things we need to understand beyond this number three number four ready submission the attitude of submission is favor from god this is a phenomenal truth because all of us want god's favor and so you know what we need to decide as we come to a conclusion in just a moment hey god for whatever reason church he loves submission take it up with him he loves it it's incredible god loves it when we submit one to another God loves it when we love those who aren't loving. God loves it when we love those and, and serve those and wash the feet of sinners who mistreat us. God loves it. In fact, He loves it so much that He blesses people that do it. Look at verse 17 of our text. Honor all men. Wow, I can think of some men that I don't think need to be honored. Love the brotherhood. Well, I haven't talked to so-and-so in the church for a long time. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. And don't miss this next part. I'm going to read it slow. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the... Let me use a better word there, I think. Unreasonable. Even the unreasonable. For this is thankworthy. He says that's thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering what? Wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, You take it patiently. But if when you do well, when you do what's right, and you suffer for it, and then you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Wow! Wow, is that really true? God says when you suffer wrongfully, and you take it with a good attitude, and you submit anyway, God says, I I bless that person. I give favor to that situation. Let me ask you a question. What's the worst injustice that you've ever experienced? Don't say it out loud. Just, I know you've already thought about it. You're thinking about the person you just are never going to like already. You're like, I hope you didn't have much more to say about this because I still got a way out. I still got a way out. I know what you're thinking. So think about the worst injustice. Now, you know what's amazing about the worst injustice is that I have a few that I'm going to mention this morning real quickly, but... I'm sure mine can pale pay in comparison to yours, but I've had a few. I thought back when I was in a young high school, or actually, actually I was in the uh, seventh grade, and, and just quickly, these are going to be our 60-second stories, um, I'm in the seventh grade, and, and, and I'm telling you, I was, a, I've always, I was always a decent athlete, um, I mean, never the best, but but, but always in, in, the, in, the, in the top tier, you know, and playing football in New Orleans. And my dad, you know, man, he was religious about it. Sports is really big down there, bigger, way bigger than it is here. And uh, we, you know, we just, I mean, every playground had a team. And I made the, uh, I was one of the better players. And the coaches decided who would make the A team and the B team in, in our little community. And they put me on the B team. And I'm telling you, I know this is just my opinion, but aren't our opinion mostly right? I mean, don't you think your opinion's pretty... Yeah, I think mine is too. And in my opinion, I should have made the A team. But I didn't make the A team. They put me on the B team. But then when it comes time to play in the All-Star game, they choose traditionally, in New Orleans, two players from the B team. Every playground has an A team and a B team. And so they choose two players from the B team. Well, the coaches don't choose those. The league chooses that. So I was voted one of two players on the B team to get moved up to the A team. So I played one game in the entire season on the A team. To make a long story short, I recovered the fumble. The, the fumble that won the game. And my picture, the dude from the B team, treated unfairly, but submitted, didn't quit, played anyway. I was the picture on the front of the paper, the hero of the community for recovering the fumble on the A team. God has a way of showing favor when our attitudes are right, when we're treated unfairly. I remember <clears throat> when I worked for Sears as a, as a young man, and I was 16 years old, and I, I got promoted, uh, long story, but I got, I got, I got promoted to a, a, a commission sales job. I'm 16 years old. This is 1980, and I am making $500 a week as a 16-year-old 40, 36 years ago. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I, honestly, at age 16, when they would have a church business meeting, the pastor would invite all the men and me. <laughs> He'd say, invite Eric, invite Eric, you know. I mean, I, I tell you, I, I think I was, I, it was just an incredible job. I worked it for three months, made about $6,000 in three months. I mean, it was incredible. I was loving life. I didn't know what to do. I mean, how do I, you know, I'm living with my parent, my mom, I, I don't have any bills, you know. I'm just, it's just crazy. My biggest bill every month was my tithe. And so I I went three months, and the only thing I told him was I couldn't work on church nights. And he came to me and he told me I had to work on a church night. I told him I'm sorry, just I can't do that, and he fired me. And I went and got a lawyer. No, I didn't. I said, I understand. I know it's probably tough. You're having to play. looks like I'm a favorite. He cursed me. He cursed me. He called me a punk. He said, what you are is a young punk. I pay you, five, you make 500 a week, and you won't give me one Wednesday night a month. You're fired. And as a 16-year-old kid raised in a single-parent home with no dad to talk to, I had to submit to that tyrant because he, he, he fired me. Two weeks later, one night, I'm at the house. I get a phone call. It's him, Mr. Robleski. The manager of the Sears store right here in Hot Springs, Arkansas, calls me in my home, and he says, uh, Eric, he said, uh, do you have a job yet? I said, well, no. I said, Mr. Busky, honestly, you were so good to me, and I never had a chance really to apologize when you fired me. I, I hated to have put you in that situation. He said, oh, no, no, son. He said, I'm calling to see if you want your job back. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, sales are down, and We just, I can't seem to motivate these kids. And I told them if they don't straighten up, I'm going to bring the young punk back. He said, so you want your job back? I said, yes. For the next five years, I had that job at Sears and Roebuck, worked my way all the way up till I got married. I can't tell you, I cannot tell you what it was like to make that kind of money working 20 hours a week. I mean, my life was forever changed because I got fired and had a good attitude. What will you do when you're mistreated? I look back on these things and I think, man, that, that was crazy what happened to me. But I think about Bible college and some of the leaders I had there, ridiculous, tyrants. We had to give money as college students to be in the ministry and, 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 and the things that were expected of us that were absolutely unruly and crazy. I saw some kids quit college over it, leave. Because of these, and they were it it didn't make sense. It was real. I mean, when we started our Bible college, I specifically said, we are never doing that to those kids. That was abusive in a lot of ways, not physically. But it was crazy that they were asking us to pay money to be in the ministry. And I remember feeling mistreated. I remember the way we were, if we were late, how they would talk to us. And I remember thinking, that's just not right. But I submitted, I paid my dues, paid my school. I mean, it, it was tough, it was hard. But looking back, I can see where God used that in my life as I submitted to people who I did not understand and did not always agree with. God used it in my life today to be a more understanding leader to young people. I could go on and on. Canoga Park, my wife and I's first ministry job, craziest thing you ever have seen in your life. Everything we were told about our first ministry job, wasn't true. I mean everything. We we went there and it was just like the opposite of what we were told. Every area of it. I mean not just one or two or three. It was an incredible, crazy situation. And and and, and yet we stuck it out. We stayed we, we we served that pastor even though it was craziness and 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 so many things that were just you know frustrating and, and not fair but God has taken that and blessed that. And I counted at one point in that youth department that I had for two years that started off with one and ended up with 150, 12 kids at one point, all in full-time Christian service. As a result of just not bailing ship because I was not treated fair. You know, I've been at Gospel for 24 years, and I've faced some difficult times of opposition, and I want to say right now, some of that I've contributed to. Some of the opposition was my fault. Some of the problems have been me. Other times, it's been others. But what if at any time I would have said in these past 24 years, whether it's me or somebody else, you know what? I'm bailing ship. I don't want to put up with this anymore. I'll go somewhere else. Hey, in parentheses, where the same thing will happen. (laughs) Okay, always remember the parentheses, where the same... We think the grass will be greener on the other side and what we become is church hoppers and business hoppers and friend hoppers and wife swappers. It's pathetic. We don't stick anything out because we don't know how to submit in tough times. We forget about our example. Church, if you've never had anybody spit in your face... You see, we've got to remember... God has a plan here. And if you look back at verse 20, and I'm almost done, don't forget that line. When ye do well and suffer for it, and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So, number five, and I'm done submission is intimacy with God. Submission is intimacy with God. Notice how he wraps up this text. There is a fellowship with God that comes only through submission and suffering, there's a fellowship. He speaks here about his example in verse 21. He didn't do any sin. Verse 23, he was reviled. He reviled not. He suffered. He threatened not. Verse 24, but he bare his own self. He bare, rather, he, rather his own self, bare our sins in his own body. How unfair is that? He did nothing wrong. We mistreated him. We crucified him. And he died for us. He went to the cross for people like you and me, low down, good for nothing. How could we treat him like that? And yet Jesus said, It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Forgive them, God. They don't know what they're doing. I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll bear their sins in my own body so they can one day have an eternity in heaven who are we to think that when somebody mistreats us and I know there's limits please remember what I said I don't want to give you a way out because I don't think most of us are dealing with limits I think most of us are dealing with pride most of us if you're dealing with limits you probably need to talk to somebody quickly but if you're not then I would encourage you to submit to submit so god can show you favor to follow in jesus steps is to embrace suffering knowing god is watching and will pour favor into your life i know this message of submission was for a, a, a crowd of people this morning who i believe desperately need including this pastor to get rid of some bad attitudes and replace it with good ones. Now, Marion Harold, who's here this morning, she's, she don't mind me telling. She's 95 years old. She volunteers at the church every week and answers phones. Well, I'm walking down the hallway, and Marion stops me and she says, Pastor, you can't stop preaching on these attitudes. We need this. I'm thinking if Mary and Harold needs it, i probably think we need it. So I'm going to preach one more sermon next Sunday. I promise, just one more. We're done. But here's what I'm going to do next week. I'm going to take all 10 of these and stir them up, and we're going to finish this series with one final sermon. And I pray that God will take this series and change our church forever. Let's, let's pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you've been rebellious against God and you've never truly ask forgiveness for your sins.